That being said, <laughs> let's read together. Acts, the ninth chapter. We're just going to read verses 1 through 6 um, to start off. When we get into the text, uh, we'll go from 1 through 6 and then 10 through 19. We'll read this together and then we'll get our hearts ready to hear from God in prayer. Verse 1, Acts 9, says this. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. Lord God, we, in the quiet of this moment, recenter our hearts and minds around the truth that you are God of the universe. Uh, that you created all that is, that, that we are yours, that everything we call our own is actually yours because you are Lord of all. And so we want to uh, recalibrate all of our lives around this amazing truth uh, that you are sovereign God and we are subject to you. And that as we subject ourselves <laughs> to the truth, that you are God. As we submit ourselves to your authority, we become more fully who you've called us and created us to be. We experience the joy and the satisfaction and the contentment of seeing you and your spirit grow and move through us so that we can become fruitful reproducers of the life of Christ. That you would work through us to do what only you can. That as we grow, as we submit ourselves to you, not only would we become more like your son Jesus, but that our witness would become something that others see. So that they could experience what we experience that you extend grace to sinners. Lord, we give ourselves to that truth today and ask that you would uh, continue to shape us and to form us as we look at the lives of those who have gone before. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so Saul was not exactly a front-runner um, for the most likely to become a missionary award. Uh, in fact, Saul was exactly the opposite. <laughs> he was the least likely dude to be reached for Jesus. Saul was the absolute definition of unreachable. He had been raised in a staunchly Jewish home, and from a very young age, an early age, he began to study to become what's called a, a rabbi, and he studied to become a rabbi, a teacher of the Jewish faith, in Jerusalem with one of the most elite and learned teachers of the Jewish 
faith. So being a rabbi was kind of like beginning your PhD in, in the Jewish law at age 13 and finishing like 15 years later. And, and, and Saul was from birth raised to be that kind of uh, a Jewish scholar. So he was all in. And Saul was a dude who was all in to protect the Jewish faith, to protect his Jewish faith. In fact, when we meet him in Acts, at the end of Acts 7, Saul was overseeing and he was approving the execution of a Christian who had been preaching named Stephen. He was not only an interpreter of the Jewish faith and the Jewish law, he was also openly anti-Christian, an openly anti-Christian enforcer of the Jewish law. This Saul dude was as unreachable as unreachable gets. Picture in your mind, whomever you may think, and then repent because some sin is probably involved in this. Picture in your mind the most unreachable person you can think of that you know well. Nothing remotely close to this Saul guy. Listen to what Luke says about him in Acts 8.3. It says, Saul was ravaging of the church, meaning he was persecuting and trying to destroy the church. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This dude was anti-Jesus. <laughs> Saul even says so himself in Philippians, the third chapter. There are a few places actually where he says this Philippians three is probably the most extended. He's recounting his Jewish roots and he says, listen, I was as anti Jesus as they came. He says this in verse five, Philippians three. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he calls himself a persecutor of the church of God. Listen, Paul says, I'm sorry, Saul. At this point, he's still Saul. Listen, Saul says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, all in for being a good Jew. I persecuted the church personally. He was the definition of an unreachable anti-Christian. <laughs> you ever meet somebody who not only doesn't follow Jesus, but they know exactly why they don't follow Jesus and they are smarter than you and they can quote scripture better than you can and they can explain why they don't follow Jesus better than you can explain why you do follow Jesus. That was, that was Saul. That was Saul. Not only was he book smart, he was street savvy and he carried a big stick. He was an intimidating dude. He was an intimidating dude. <laughs> and that was the Saul that the early church came into contact with. That was the Saul <laughs> that the early church met. The definition of unreachable. Jump in with me at Acts 9 verse 1 says this. This is the Apostle Luke writing in Acts. He says this in 9.1. But Saul, still breathing threats 
and murder against the disciples, the followers of the Lord, Saul went to the high priest, who's the head honcho of the Jewish people, and asked him, the high priest, for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Meaning he got sort of a permit from on high to do this persecuting kind of thing. He asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way as he was going to Damascus men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The way, for the record, is just an early way of talking about Christians who are following the way of Jesus. So he had permission on his way to Damascus to bring any Christians to Jerusalem bound for the purpose of continuing the persecution. Saul was serious about protecting his Jewish faith, militant about protecting his way of life, so much so that he actively persecuted Christians. But as we'll see in this series, as we'll see today, uh, God is in the business of reaching the unreachable. Just like Saul, just like you, just like me. God's in the business of reaching the unreachable. Now, keep reading with me. Look at how this happens for Saul. Verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, meaning Saul, he approached Damascus And suddenly, which is to say that's how it always happens, it's always unexpected when God reveals himself to someone who's very serious about protecting their way of life. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, which as as a rabbi who knew his Bible, uh, he would have understood well that uh, a light from heaven um, is a manifestation from God, okay, sort of like Moses at the burning bush or at Mount Sinai, and falling to the ground, verse 4, which is a posture of fear and of alarm, falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him from on high, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? (laughs) Figured I'd throw in a little godly weight to it there, I guess. Notice carefully that, uh, well, God says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Though he means the church. He says, why are you persecuting me? Which is to say, (laughs) which is to say, to persecute the church was to persecute the Lord. Saul thought he was just sort of, you know, seeking out Jewish heretics and protecting the true faith. But turns out he was attacking God himself. So look at his response. He said, who are you, Lord? Now press pause for just a second here. Who are you, Lord, is Saul's question back when God says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you, Lord? Now, some scholars think that Saul might have meant uh, Lord as a term of sort of respectful address, kind of like um, it's, the, it's, it's what you would say when you just say, sir. Um, it's, it's, it's just like that. They, they use the word Lord like that uh, fairly often. But I think it's clear from the context of I don't know, flashing light, falling to the ground, a voice from heaven asking the reason for persecuting him is plenty of reason and evidence to suggest that Saul is using the word Lord here to mean more than just a term of respectful address. (laughs) Saul thinks in this moment he is addressing the Lord himself. And he asks, who are you, Lord? When the unreachable or the one that feels, the people who seem unreachable to us, when the 
even militant anti-Christian has an encounter with the risen Lord, it's a natural question. (laughs) Who are you, Lord? We're going to pick up on that later on when we tease out some practical things for us. Um, Let's keep going. Jesus speaks back here. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. (laughs) Imagine what Saul, by the way, uh, militant anti-Christian persecuting the church kind of person is thinking as he hears, I am Jesus. I am Jesus coming from on high, flash of light. He's on the ground in a submissive posture of fear, submissive posture of fear. I am Jesus is a complete refutation of everything that he had stood for. This was a guy who was all in for destroying the church, being personally confronted by the risen Christ, which is what has to happen if people's hearts are going to be changed for Saul's or yours. A personal encounter with the risen Lord is what changes a heart. So he keeps speaking. Verse 6. But rise and enter the city. Jesus speaking here. And you will be told what you are to do. He just gives simple directions as to Saul's next move. So go into Damascus and you'll be told what to do. Now jump down to verse 10 here. We're going to cover a lot of territory here from 10 to 19. What I want you to see here is how God sends someone who is faithful in a very simple kind of way to come alongside Saul to help him become who God called him to be. This is another key point we're going to tease out a little bit later here. It's important to see here how God sends someone who is faithful in a very simple way to come alongside Saul to help him become who God has called him to be. Look at verse 10. Now there was a disciple, a follower of Jesus, at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him, to Ananias in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. Here I am is a a common phrase in the Bible to say when God speaks, I respond, here I am, tell me what to do. Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Tarsus is where Saul was born. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named, what do you know, Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So God says to Ananias, I've got a miracle to do in this man's life, but I'm going to need you to help get him started. But Ananias answered, because Saul's reputation preceded him, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. Clearly you must not know. So um, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, <laughs> go, in other words, like suck it up, Ananias, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the non-Jews. So Saul, who will become Paul, his um, his lineage was Jewish, but he was to go to the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. In other words, I've got big plans for this guy, big plans for this guy, and I need you to help me carry out these plans in a, in a very small, easy uh, way. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, 
Notice a term of address there, like Ananias is addressing him like he's part of the family. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened for some days. He is with the disciples at Damascus. This is the Saul who would eventually become the Paul who preached the gospel all over the known world at the time, planted many, many churches and wrote half the New Testament. Now I want to point out three simple takeaways for us from today's passage. And they're all going to be relevant to this idea of of reaching those uh, who feel or who seem to us unreachable. Um, So I want you to think about an unchurched uh, non-believer in your life who you know needs Jesus but doesn't follow him. Now for our purposes, we're going to consider an unchurched non-believer. We're going to consider that to describe anyone who fits in a spectrum, a continuum uh, from outright militant atheist rejection of Jesus to someone who is not meaningfully connected to the body of Christ in a way that's helping them become who God made them to be. So an entire spectrum of people who uh, we're calling this unchurched uh, non-believers, someone who just is like a militant atheist rejecter of Jesus, all the way to someone over here who is not meaningfully connected to the body of Christ in a way that's helping them become who God created them to be. So, so think of someone who fits that description first. Might be you. <laughs> first takeaway that is relevant to unchurched non-believers here. What was true of Saul here at the beginning is true of them. They are very serious about protecting their faith. Now, an unchurched non-believer may not know they have faith in something or in someone. Ultimately, they have faith in themselves. But they don't know that. But they will be very serious about protecting that faith, their own faith. <laughs> They're not likely going to be excited about the suggestion that they should give up their faith in themselves which is to simply say they're going to be protective and that is natural. Don't be surprised and certainly don't take it personally if they're protected, protective of their faith. They're not rejecting you. Why take it personally? So don't be surprised and certainly don't take it personally if an unchurched non-believer is protective. Instead, be patient and be prepared for someone who is protective about their faith in themselves. And again, we're talking about somebody who's militant, atheist, rejecter of Jesus, all the way to someone who is not meaningfully connected to the body of Christ in a way which is helping them become who God made them to be. So, so just be aware. 
they're going to be protective of it. That's natural. That's okay. Don't take it personally. They're not rejecting you anyway. Second takeaway that is relevant uh, for unchurched non-believers here. God does a miracle every single time someone's heart is softened to accept Him as Lord. Every single time that someone's heart is softened to hear from God and accept Him in some measure, that's a miracle. Only God can do the work of changing hearts. When Saul says, Who are you, Lord? He is expressing an openness to hear from God. Which is to say, be sensitive to that kind of question and that openness in others. Be sensitive to hearing that kind of openness in others. Which is a little bit of the opposite of be offended if they're protective. (laughs) Their version of who are you, Lord, will most not like will, will most likely not be accompanied by by flashing light uh, or a voice please tell me you didn't do that on purpose can we have the flashing light again wow. where were we when Saul says who are you lord Saul is expressing an openness to hearing from God. Be sensitive to hearing that in others. And their version of who are you, Lord, is not likely going to be accompanied by flashing light or a voice from heaven. But be sensitive to hear when an unchurched non-believer, anyone who is an outright rejecter, all the way to somebody not meaningfully connected to the body of Christ, be sensitive to hear when their heart is softening to hear from God. Notice that the first two things we've said already have little to do with you. The filter is, are they accepting, rejecting Jesus? Are they hearing from God? So often we are trying uh, to manipulate people into our particular version of what it means to whatever we think. (laughs) Them hearing from God is something where we must hear whether or not they're hearing from God, not you or me. The third takeaway that is relevant to unchurched non-believers involves our part. And it's simply this. God can use simple and seemingly small, unimportant acts of obedience for gargantuan purposes that we might not see. Ananias has no clue this Saul dude is going to become the writer of half the New Testament and that we're going to be talking about him thousands of years later. You and I sit in these seats accepting Jesus in part because Saul became Paul. Ananias has no clue what God's doing in this man's life. Think about this. This is not the same Ananias, by the way, that's mentioned in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Not the same one. Okay, this is Ananias of Damascus, and the only thing we know about Ananias was what we just read. It's simple. He followed Jesus, he lived in Damascus, and he was asked by God to go and lay hands on Saul and pray with him. 
Not exactly something that involves having to be a well-trained professional with years of ministry experience. Any one of us can leave these seats and go be a meaningful Ananias to someone that God can use. It doesn't take a degree in rocket science to be part of God's plan to reach the unreachable. It takes simple faithfulness to do what you know God's called you to do. So three things, three things in reaching those who may seem or feel unreachable to us. Number one, be prepared for them to be protective. Number two, be sensitive to openness of them hearing from God. And three, be faithful in the small acts of obedience. Now, I know, I know full well um, that this idea of reaching the unreachable can feel a little bit intimidating to a bunch of uptight Green County Christians. This idea that a bunch of conservative Christians from Green County ought to be reaching out to those who are different than us and who might reject Jesus might feel or seem uh, like a big, tall task to us. Um, it, it may feel a little bit like fish out of water or like sending lambs led to slaughter, to use Jesus' terms. But we can do this. This is what we are called to. If we will be faithful to do what we can do, God will do what he's going to do. God's going to work to move in people's hearts. The question is, is he going to? The question is, are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be prepared for the kind of self-protection and rejection and absorb that? Are, are we going to make sure that we're sensitive to hearing if they're hearing from God? Are we going to be faithful in the small acts of obedience that God can use for larger purposes? If God will be faithful with what he can do, and we believe he will, we can see an experience among us corporately and in our lives individually, God working in ways that may seem impossible. That he will reach people who we might feel are unreachable. Because listen, friends, this is what God does. This is what God does in people's lives. He takes dead hearts and he makes them alive. Now, this entire series for me was sparked by one little thought. One little thought. I read a lot of Bible. <laughs> and, I, and, and I read this in Acts. I read uh, a chapter from Acts every day. If God can do this in the life of someone like Saul, and if God can do this through the simple of obedience of somebody like Ananias, why can't he do it again today in you and me? If God can turn a hard heart that's bent on destroying God's people, the most unreachable of unreachable, if he can turn a hard heart that's oriented against God's people into a soft heart that actually broke for the lost so that they could hear about Jesus, he can do that again today. If he can do this in the early church, he can do it again today. Which is to say, if God can turn your heart and mine into a place where he lives by his spirit and he can turn our gifts and our resources 
into tools for his purposes, then why can't he do it again in the life of someone else we're called to reach? If God can do those things, he can turn this 100-year-old church into a network of campuses unified around a single vision of helping people find and follow Jesus. And we're approaching this right now because during this season of change for us as a church, uh, when we are becoming a church that plants campuses across this county, we need to understand uh, that it's going to be hard. It's going to be work. It will involve the same kind of tensions and problems the early church experienced as they attempted to reach people for Christ, perhaps even persecution in some form or fashion. It's going to involve the same kind of fears that Ananias expressed when God asked him to reach out to Saul. This new sort of multi-site campus launch thing is not simply going to be smooth sailing all the time. It's going to be a mixed bag that involves absorbing self-protection, sensitivity to others' hearts, confronting personal fears, and simple obedience. (laughs) If we can absorb some of others' self-protection, if we can be sensitive to their hearts, if we will confront our fears like Ananias and also simply obey what we know God's called us to, God will use us. Now, if you, if you don't understand this <laughs> and you think we can become a church um, that plants campuses across this county by sitting back passively and watching others get involved, not only will you not grow personally and you won't be as helpful as we or lost people need, you won't stick with it because you will continue to find this place tiresome and frustrating because we will not stop focusing on helping people find and follow Jesus. But, but if you do understand that reaching the unreachable involves absorbing self-protection, sensitivity to others' hearts, confronting personal fears and simple obedience, and you're ready to push through when it gets hard, when fears of rejection happen, and you feel like you're working without seeing much fruit, if you understand that and you stick with it, then we have the opportunity here at First Christian Church to be part of something no less amazing than seeing God reach the unreachable. Let's pray, friends. Indeed, Lord, we want to be part of seeing you Reveal yourself in power. And uh, we realize that uh, that happens in and through us as we give ourselves to your power. As we count the cost, as we submit ourselves to your purposes. So, Lord, we ask that uh, you would continue to give us a vision that comes from your word. Continue to teach us, Lord. Continue to make us faithful. 
help us in moments, perhaps even this week, perhaps even today, where another person's protection needn't be taken personally by us, but that we can uh, absorb it and and understand, Lord, that uh, it's not us that, that they might be rejecting and that that is a natural part of the process. Help us, Lord, to uh, confront personal fears. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive to others' hearts and their softness to hear from You. And uh, Lord, give us the faith and the courage to be obedient in the simple things, trusting that You would use our lives and our submission to Your purposes for this amazing thing You're doing in the world of redeeming it to Yourself. Father, the cross is the evidence of that. The empty tomb is evidence of that. And so, Lord, we want to be people who um, sacrifice ourselves like Jesus on the cross with the knowledge that resurrection's on the other side so that we can rest in the work that you're doing in us and through us. Uh, and that when, when we see hearts change, when we see lives uh, made new, we would give you the glory. And we would realize that we are um, tools for your purposes, Lord. Continue to instruct us and give us a vision that looks like your son Jesus' life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.